Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donia Keating, coming to you live from the Seattle area at about noon Pacific time. No, actually, actually we're 1 o'clock Pacific time on uh, Wednesday, April 29th. Listeners, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. Press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak. If you'd rather send us a comment or a question via chat, you can open that up and go. And uh, as we said many times before, it may be a little wonky, so unless you have a uh, Blog Talk Radio account, maybe you want to give that a shot just to see if it'll be easier for you. So today's topic, we are going to talk about Island Power, and that is an initiative that was started by Jane Lindley and Steve Johnson, who are also our guests today. In a nutshell, Bainbridge Island citizens, they have the opportunity here to own and control their own nonprofit electric utility. So 50 other Washington communities have done this. And uh, their consumer-owned utilities from the city of Blaine to the Seattle City Light as some examples. And some of these provide lower cost. They are cleaner and more reliable power than Puget Sound Energy, which is one of the basic premises of Island Power as well. In uh, 2008, as an example, Jefferson County, which is uh, Port Townsend is there, they voted to give electric authority to their public utility district called Jefferson PUD, and they bought out PSE. So... Today, they have their own 100% carbon-free, locally controlled, nonprofit power system. And some of the questions we hope to answer today will be about whether or not it's really feasible on, on Bainbridge Island, some of the pros and cons, uh, maybe how much it's going to cost and who's going to run it and some logistics like that. Uh, might have a, f- a couple of conversational points uh, about hydropower and you know what the implications are given some of the drought situations we're seeing across uh, several states. And then uh, maybe we'll explore a little bit about uh, PSE's Green Power Initiative and whether or not there's some win-win opportunity there. But, you know, this is really not a PSE show. We're really here to get some questions and answers uh, from Jane and Steve and get some information out to the public so that we can all make an informed decision. So um, let's just go ahead and move forward with that. I'm going to let everybody on the show who's out there and let's just welcome them aboard. So uh, Steve and Jane, if you're out there, give us a hello. Hello, Hi. this is Steve. And Jane, you're hey, out Danya, there too? I think you, I'm out here, and Danya, you've done a great job introducing Island Power. I think we're done here. <laughs> we're, show over. That's it. <laughs> so, okay, uh, I don't care who goes first, but why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and how you got from there to here, just in general, some highlights. Well, uh, Steve, do you want to go first or shot? No, why don't you go first? Go ahead. Uh, all right, well, for, for the past couple of years, I've looked into how I could reduce my own carbon footprint, and I've written about that on my blog, Low Carbon Girl. And in the process, I realized it's very hard to substantially reduce one's carbon footprint and still be part of modern society. I mean, I guess it would be different if you lived in a cave somewhere and didn't have to <laughs> interact with other humans, but... Um, yeah, so it wasn't until I thought about buying an electric car that I looked to sort of a larger 
uh, arena than just myself. I thought, well, if I plug my electric car into the current grid, I'm still going to be using that mix of electricity, which for PSD is um, 29 or 49% hydro from Bonneville Power Association, and then I think um, 24% um, coal and 25% natural gas, and then 7% wind and and other. So um, I really thought, well, that's not really reducing my carbon footprint. I wonder if I could change how we got our electricity. And it wasn't until I met Steve, who has a huge background in the utility business, um, and he connected the dots for me that I thought, oh, I could get this going. And I thought, <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, I didn't know if you were throwing a softball to Steve to start introducing himself or if you wanted to add something. Yeah, I'm Either throwing way. a softball. Steve, over to you. Okay, well, um, yeah, this all started because Jane called me about this and she had an idea of taking Bainbridge on off the grid or something. And I had a utility background and I've always been interested in these issues, but um, she's the one that kicked us off. And uh, so I worked for 23 years. I was the executive director of the Washington Public Utility Districts Association. So the PUDs serve about a third of the state with electricity, and they have this rich history that they were created in the 1930s by a farmer organization, the Washington State Grange, because most farms were not electrified, about 12%. And uh, the result was that they got in the business on a non-profit basis uh, and owned by their consumers. And uh, today they serve about a third of the population in the state with electricity. About another, the majority of this state is is uh, served by public power, non-profit utilities like Seattle City Light and so on. But anyway, that's my background with the PUDs and um, working together with Jane um, we're advancing this idea of having a nonprofit consumer-owned utility on Bainbridge Island. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, those highlights, and then we've got a third person on, and I, it's Charles Keating. So, Charles, why don't you give us a brief uh, background about yourself? Well, welcome everyone, and I run the Tech Association and have a lot of interest in power generation and efficiency in general. Uh, not to mention the technology side of it, and uh, look forward to the conversation. Hi, Charles. I think we all do. Hi, Charles. Hello. <laughs> so, okay, um, let's start with it. Uh, what's Island Power? And uh, you already kind of gave us some background about why you decided to launch this initiative, but, you know, two things. What is Island Power and why now? Okay, great questions. Um, Island Power is, is, at this point, just an ad hoc group of citizens and we're, as, as Steve said, we're interested in creating our own nonprofit electric utility. Um, we really support the idea of reliable, local, and renewable energy, and also democratic control of our energy system. Um, and, and why now? Um, that is an excellent question. Uh, one of the reasons we thought why now is why it's so important to start now is that one of the places we would get our power from, or that place we'd get our power from, is the Bonneville Power Administration, which provides hydropower and virtually carbon-free. The island uses about 50 megawatts of power a year and can get all the power it needs from Bonneville Power. 
uh, as a new nonprofit utility, we could get prefer, be a preferred customer of Bonneville and qualify for their low-cost Tier 1 rates. And Steve can talk more to this, um, but Bonneville has about 190 megawatts of power, Tier 1 power left. And if we don't sign up for that soon and sort of lock into that rate, then other, another uh, newly formed nonprofit utility could, or one or more could uh, definitely use that up, especially if it's a big city like Portland or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. So, the, uh, the Bonneville Power Administration, first, a lot of people don't know, it's the largest utility in the Northwest. It runs Grand Coulee Dam, 28 other dams on the Columbia and Snake Rivers. It also has wind power, nuclear power, and so on, but it is carbon-free, all of its power plants, uh, none of them emit uh, carbon. And it's it's the kind of the backbone for most of the public power utilities. And so that, that uh, big federal agency uh, managing these resources makes them available on a nonprofit basis to nonprofit utilities primarily first. Then it can sell to other utilities. And a few years ago they looked around and said, we're running out of this low-cost power, such as the power that comes out of Grand Coulee Dam. Uh, we've got to do something about that. We've got to augment that and mix it in uh, with new power resources or or what. And so they decided to take the low-cost power, spread it across all these utilities. turned out that it was about the right time so that everybody could get basically what they needed. And, but they decided to set aside a little bit of that power for some new public agencies. They did that. 240 megawatts, uh, Jefferson PUDU, we'll talk about it in a minute, was created, and it took 50 megawatts. It was organized itself as a nonprofit utility and got into business two years ago. So there's a couple cities in Oregon looking at this, and uh, the good news about the Tier 1 power is if you get it, you probably got it forever. You, once you're a customer of Bonneville, they stick with you. Uh, you're a pref- what they call a preference customer. And uh, the bad news is at some point, that low-cost power is going to be gone, and um, uh, we think this is the opportunity for Bainbridge to get in and uh, and get that power, as well as achieving these other objectives. You know, oh, it's interesting. Steve, no, go ahead, Jane. Steve, I was, could you talk to the fact that Bonneville provides um, power no matter how much you need? So say if we start at 50 megawatts, right, they, surges, they, they, right. The, the great thing about Bonneville is um, they partner with you as a customer, so they have a lot of utilities that are small. People that may not know that about these little utilities in Washington, but the city of Silicon, the city of Blaine, city of Port Angeles, and um, those utilities need a wholesale utility and partner that, for instance, if they're taking twice as much power on a really cold day, um, they get all they need um, and that kind of thing, a so-called load following. So they're a full-service wholesale utility that once you're uh, a customer of theirs, take care of all your needs, um, as Dane mentioned. Okay. Um, of course, obviously. I think, um, I think the other pressing reason now is, frankly, this whole climate uh, thing is, is not going away. Um, the... You know, the Sierra Club took 10,000 petitions to uh, to the WUTC asking PSE to do something about its coal and fossil fuel resources. 
And uh, they, they, it's easy to ignore those kinds of things. What we think here, this group on Bainbridge Island, is darn it, let's just set up our own utility, make our own decisions. Uh, the community here cares a lot about the environment. Yeah. And they care, yeah. care about local control, too. Yeah, and, and I, I think I have met with Jane, and, you know, we've obviously had conversations, you know, independent of this about different aspects of of living on Bainbridge Island and just living in the 21st century. And so a lot of the questions that we got when we try to prepare for a show, we kind of do a blind, you know, survey. And so it really boils down to are we talking about better, faster, cheaper? You know, what are the top three reasons why you're doing this? And so some of it came down to cost, which isn't necessarily going to translate. Some of it came down to carbon footprint, which isn't necessarily going to translate. And then the third thing came down to, you know, personal ownership. And then those questions that we'll be entertaining later, which would be, what are the what are the logistics? How much is it going to cost? You know, what's the infrastructure going to be? Things like that. So we'll we'll get to those questions. But wanted to give some context um, to some of the comments we're seeing about publicly owned utilities. And uh, in the Northwest alone, there's about 120 of them apparently, and they serve about half of the population. So there are three types of public power utilities. Uh, one is the municipal systems, or which are governed by the cities that they serve, uh, which Seattle City Light would be an example of that. Uh, and then there are cooperatives, which are private, nonprofit corporations that are governed by their members. And then there are PUDs, which is the special districts that are formed by a vote of the people they serve. So of those three, I'm guessing um, you guys are open to probably any one of them, but you're really talking about mostly the, the second one, I would guess, a nonprofit corporation. Well, yeah, the uh, well, it would be a, a municipal utility such as Seattle City. Like that seems to be the simplest path. But okay. I, you know, I have a background with the PUDs. That's potentially a path. Maybe right now that we just see more obstacles getting there. There's already a countywide water service PUD um, and so forth. So, and then the nonprofit cooperative. They are, they are private, but they're treated by Bonneville because they're nonprofit, because they're consumer-owned and meet some other requirements. They qualify for the um, low-cost, uh, cost-based power. So the, 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 the city-owned model is probably the right model for Bainbridge, but we're open to kind of tweaking that. But, I know that's also, not a little piece of Oh, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I, um, I was just going to throw in a little chat comment that just came in that said nine of the ten lowest-cost utilities in Oregon are public utilities. So just a little piece of information there. Go ahead, James. Yeah, and in Washington State, the the, the 62, actually, uh, public utilities all have lower rates than uh, PSE. So we're, um, we'd be joining that group. They're about, on average, 25% lower, although some of them are are obviously significantly lower than that. And also, the thing is, because it's locally owned and controlled, we're not deciding for everyone what kind of entity it would be. Because once um, you know we move forward with this, if, the, if everybody on Beamer says, "Yeah, we want to look into public power," sounds like a great idea. Then the people of Bainbridge Island decide, basically, you know what's going to be the best. So it's not as though we're mandating anything at all. Um, I just wanted to, to clarify. And yeah, that's, that's, that's local. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we find is huge. You know, I, I'm not sure how high the level of concern on Bainbridge Island over rates is, but but people really 
here really do care about controlling, you know, where their power comes from. Um, can you, um, instead of being building new facilities in the island, can you can we have uh, innovative energy efficiency programs? All those things we could decide for ourselves. Whereas with PSE, you know, it's a big utility. Uh, it's um, it's actually owned by a foreign corporation, the Macquarie Group out of Sydney, Australia, and it's a collection of foreign, Canadian, and so on um, pension funds. But that the decisions that make affect us so much is the biggest enterprise on the on Bainbridge Island, and we we don't have we have very little say in how it's run and how it provides its services. Yeah, right. and then you know. I was going to say that you know it's it's one of those things where you, you as as a person who lives here and as a person who's also in business I look at things you know kind of holistically and take a few steps back and so you know sometimes cost is an issue sometimes it's really about efficiency sometimes it's about how it's going to be operated um, not really that concerned about who owns something because there's so many foreign owned corporations that we have out there that we like. Um, that have some foreign okay. interest or investors. So it, it just really becomes what's the strongest talking point and what's really going to resonate with people. And you're really sort of uh, basically sparking the conversation and the idea and not driving it. Charles, you have been very, very quiet. So I wanted to know if you had a couple of comments or two. Well, I don't want to step on anybody. You guys are you're all talking. So um, Yeah, I think you, there's, you there's two things. Up, okay, there's two ways I look, you know, there's the way to look at it, the problem solution and how you approach the solution. Obviously, the problem, you know, of environmental issues is, you know, people live in big houses, drive SUVs, use lots of electricity. We can all do small things um, like using LED lighting, low-flow fixtures and stuff like that. And maybe this is like trying to get everybody to recycle. Yes, a lot of people can participate. It makes a difference. You know, and this might make a difference on Bainbridge Island, but, you know, climate change is a worldwide phenomena, and whatever we do on Bainbridge Island is such a, you know, 0.001%. I mean, it's good for us to want to do it, but we realize that we alone can impact the entire environment. We can change ourselves, but we can't solve the bigger problem by ourselves, but we can maybe showcase what we can do. Um, exactly. Okay. That's that's how the way I look at it, and it's like I'll make choices for myself, but I'm very careful about what kind of choices I try to make for others. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. high gas prices, I think it forces people to make better choices in terms of what vehicles they drive. Now, there's going to be guys who work on construction sites. They can't they can't get around on a small compact vehicle when they got to haul stuff. So I don't judge them for driving a big truck if they, in fact, use it. Um, you know, if we can get by with some really small commuter car or some we've been looking at different things is coming down the pipe, you know, hey, that's a great option. I think the cost of solar is coming down. I think solar mm-hmm. is extremely important. I think it's on the cusp of major changes, but not quite there yet. It's still expensive. Um, so I want to see more people do it. I think, you know, PSC's done some really good things. I think, like, for instance, not it's not their program. It's an independent program that PSC is associated with, with the Green Power Program. They've got, like, Bainbridge is, like, the top program in their territory. Um, you know, they've gotten, like, 1,300 paying customers into the Green Power Program on Bainbridge alone, so I'm sure it's a pretty high percentage. And I think that's just wonderful. I mean, those kinds of th- funds are used to make all these small changes. I think the key thing is, they're low-risk changes. You're making small changes, but 
what's the opportunity to make a mess up if you invest in, you know, re redoing your lighting or putting solar panels on your roof? The worst thing you can do is choose an expensive solution that you have to pay back that might be 20 years instead of, you know, five years or five or 15 years. No big deal, but you're, it's small projects. When we start talking mm -hmm. about owning the utility, we're talking about a mass change that affects everybody that's much higher risk. There's no guarantee that owning the utility, you could run it more efficiently. You have to look at what are the potential rewards to take on the risk of trying to control the utility and direct its, its, its actions. If you can say that PSC has a high cost overhead because of its foreign ownership, look at that percentage of how much that adds to the cost of electricity because you're using PSC. On the flip side of that, what efficiencies does PSC bring to the table to offset their overhead cost versus what you could do? I mean, if you owned it, well, you didn't sir, have a foreign I'd, company. I'd like to respond to that. I, the, uh, so PSC, you know, I, uh, efficiencies, it's hard to see what the efficiencies are um, when they have the highest rates. I mean, that's in most businesses... That's the ultimate test of your efficiency is is uh, what your, your goal what your is the only utility with, so with lower cost. at public power utilities um, on measures like credit rating. All the uh, public power utilities are A or or better credit rating. And at the time PSE was sold, it had a uh, I think a triple B minus. Now because it's not uh, publicly traded, it doesn't have the kind, same kind of comparable ratings. So so I think the point is, um, what is the riskier choice? Is it yes? Look at PSE's portfolio, foreign owned, uh, fifty percent dependent on carbon resources, with a kind of a carbon tax risk for its customers if something is done about that, and uh, versus the publics, who uh, most of them, by the way, have been in business a very long time. None of them have ever gone broke. None of them have had sort of major economic disruption. Um, they've just been uh, pretty darn reliable in terms of service and cost and uh, and community control. So, I, I'm which is the riskier choice? Sometimes it's a riskier choice to stay where you are than to look at this laboratory of 62 utilities. So wait, you, hang on. So hang on a second. So first of all, this is not a, this is not a, this is not a phone conversation where we could just go back and forth. There are some some technical difficulties in having a conversation on a podcast like that. Namely, if two people are talking at the same time, only one of you ends up heard. So um, let me just back up for a quick second. And you brought up green power, Charles. And for people that are out there that may not know what that is. It's basically a, a program where a PSE purchases renewable energy that's generated by wind or landfill gas and agricultural waste. And when you make a contribution, it's usually about 4 to $12 a month, PSE buys clean energy on your behalf from independent producers. So for anybody that's out there that doesn't know what green power is, that's what it is. So, um, yes, there are pros and cons. So let's. I want to jump back up because this is not about PSE. And, frankly, if they're not here to defend themselves or speak on, them, on their own behalf – I mean, they, they can be a, a mentioned peripherally because they are the comparative business model, but really I want to focus on Island Power because this is their time today. So let's just jump back up to Island Power, and since we're talking about power, um, I read an article the other day where there were nine states that are running out of water. So obviously California was named, 
and more than 44% of its land area is engulfed in an exceptional level of drought, actually. Uh, and this was the highest share nationwide and the kind of water shortage that it's only seen once a century. So I looked at some other studies by NASA, and they talked about the droughts in the southwest and central plains during the last half mm-hmm. of the century. And they said they, they said they could be drier and longer than drought conditions seen in those regions in the last 1,000 years. So, you know, the likelihood of that is about 12%, so not huge, but still something to talk about. But those other states, uh, Texas, Kansas, Arizona, Colorado, Oklahoma, Utah, Mm -hmm. Oregon, Nevada. So the question that I have for you, Jane and Steve, is we're talking about hydropower. What are the implications of this when we're talking about where the island is going to get its power? Steve, can I start with this? Sure. You can jump in. Okay. So um, Oregon and Washington are dealing with droughts. But so far, um, hydropower in the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, is held steady. And power managers say that um, the water levels in the region's Columbia River Basin remain close to normal, and that's due to heavier precipitation along um, headwaters in British Columbia. Um, So Bonneville Power says, um, and they deliver power to Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana, they say they have, they look like it's going to be fine going forward for some time. That said, I also want, I think it's a great time to talk just a little bit about conservation. We sort of look at energy as though, you know, are we sure we're always going to get some? And the other side of this is we might have to start conserving a little bit too. Uh, mm-hmm. And that needs to be part of our discussion going forward. We need to be good stewards of the earth and not just use every last resource. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're running up against in general. But Steve's got some other information yeah. too. On well, I think one thing uh, is this is not a good situation with uh, drought and these changes that are coming back on us because of the climate uh, changes. And uh, so it does impact this region primarily in terms of snowpacks. The climatologists forecast that uh, we may actually get more precipitation in the northwest. So it's beneficial to have that precipitation for the hydro system to be, you know, stored in the snowpack and come down the river more evenly through the the summer. That said, um, Bonneville this year has done quite well. And, it, and in fact, the, the, even though we've had this drought and ski resorts closed and so on, or um, not so much a drought in terms of volume of precipitation, but not not being cold enough, um, Bonneville has historically and and today does uh, its planning based on worst case, and right now they just don't see a, a, a formidable impact on the hydro system in the Northwest. Other regions, Colorado River and so on, I think it's a different situation. But fortunately for us, uh, and you can go on the Bonneville website and read about this, we're in a pretty pretty good situation in part because they're so conservative in how they plan for the availability of that resource. And also I hope that um, if we get to the point where it is an issue, we'll sort of follow California's example where they're um, backing up their they're a huge drop in hydro. I mean, they've gone from uh, 23% in 2011 to only 7% of the state's power this year uh, just because their drought's been so bad for the last four years. 
they're filling it back up with renewable energy sources like solar and wind. So they're making a, a conscious effort to be as renewable as possible going forward. Charles, did you have any thoughts? Um, well, obviously, I think the climate models will play out, and I think you know California is obviously going to need to fill up with renewables. I, I think if we can focus on in terms of actual gen generation of energy using solar or wind power to look at what can we do regulatory-wise to streamline procedures like they've done in Germany. Germany is a major uh, major uh, producer of solar energy, I mean, in terms of uh, so installed solar capacity. And obviously, they deal with a lot of cloud cover. They're like, like Puget Sound. I mean, if we can, if they can do it in Germany and we can do it here, we should be able to streamline the system so that when somebody does want to put in a, a solar install that, you know, it can be one-day permitting. If we can get it to that point involved, you make, you, you make the process as simple as possible, then you can have um, a, a lot easier for people to install solar capacity. Yeah. So we, we had a, a, I think it was um, Island Power's Facebook page where they were talking about Nebraska as an example um, and I think that was primarily because it was a 100-year-old public utility. But even their um, state is heavily reliant upon coal and nuclear sources. So, you know, it's a good example from the ownership side, not so much from the carbon footprint side. But it, it goes back to the conversation we're having about, you know, what's happening in terms of droughts, uh, other forms of power, wind power. I think that um, PSE is the second largest utility um, producer of wind power in the United States and other types of, you know, hydroelectric, obviously, um, I think PSE has, uh, that's nearly half of their portfolio, or it was a few years ago. But it's it's really a discussion about um, what are the priorities for island power? What's the step after this? You know, you have something coming up you can tell us about on May 9th. And then, you know, what's your process? How how are you going to relate to the public? And what's, what do you envision as happening to move this forward? Oh, Steve, do you want to take that? Oh, sure. Um, um We've got a uh, a meeting to to have a dialogue with the public and present some information about this on May 9th at the Grange mm -hmm. Hall on Bainbridge Island, and um, we look forward to that as a chance to have a discussion. I mean, it's really going to be up to this community what they want to do. Jane and I uh, believe in this idea. I think it's the right thing for the and, and other volunteers for the island, but um, it's going to be a decision for the island and uh so we're working on on that process uh, down the road the uh in this is up to the city council but the city council would presumably put on the ballot a measure to authorize the establishment of an electric utility and so that's that's that step um and and then you know it would take some time as it did in Jefferson County uh, to get into business, and then the island would have its own utility and be able to make these decisions about resources like Charles was talking about the solar and, you know, could we do more? Uh, we have, you know, a great record for participation in the Green Power Program, but it's still like only 10% uh, of the electrical customers on the island who participate. And so uh, we'd have an opportunity to have a utility that, for instance, could make a commitment to that we'd meet low growth with energy efficiency and renewables. And we could do that right here on Bainbridge Island just with our own resources. 
not the best place mm-hmm. for solar, but it works here. And uh, so that is that that's sort of the view at least I have of of how this would go forward and some of how we'd be organized. Right. And it in Jefferson County it took five years from when they voted to move forward with public power to flipping the switch. And I have to say, um, with somebody we talked to who lives there, it was, went seamlessly on, I guess, April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2008. They flipped the switch <laughs> and nothing, you know, flickered. The lights stayed on. And uh, I think for some people, when we talk to them, they think it's going to happen. If they uh, think public power is a good idea, they think it's going to happen instantaneously. And no, 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 it's a long process because, um, you know, there's infrastructure and um, uh, to purchase and stuff like that. So it's, and feasibility studies. I mean, there's there's a lot of checks and balances along the way. There's a, lo- a lot to do, but it's not like it's never been done. With the right. other utilities have successfully done it. And Jefferson PUD, they've, they've actually been, they voted this in in 2008. They got a, they turned this, took the switch on two years ago on April 1st. Uh, and so what do they have today? Uh, no problems with delivery of this service. And something that was very important to them up there is local jobs. So they have 35 employees now. I think that some of those serve the water utility. But there were two PSE jobs in the county. Here on Bainbridge, there are no employees of uh, the power company. And um, we would presumably have, you know, 20 jobs, say, on the island. Something that's very important about that is right now, when there's an electrical emergency, like a hot wire in a house or something, uh, the crews to disable that, there's nobody on the island who's authorized to turn the switch, turn the power off, not the fire department and so on. So as even lately folks have been thinking about earthquakes because of what happened in Nepal, you know, what if the bridge is blocked? There are no... PSE employees here, including the kind of emergency line crews and that kind of thing, and we'd have our own. They'd be here. They'd be our neighbors, and uh, and they'd be uh, you know part of this community and able to respond to emergencies uh, like that. And and these are the kind of people who are great to have in your community too because they, uh, you know, in an emergency, it's not the people like us who punch away at keyboards that uh, you need. It's people like firemen and line workers and that kind of thing. Well, I would, well, I would, I would argue okay. that I would argue that we need everybody in our ecosystem. But you, to say that um, you you would hire people um, through the entity that would be formed here would be an accurate statement. But they wouldn't necessarily live here, and we know that through a lot of the professionals that we have who work here but live elsewhere because they can't afford it. So I, I think it, you know, in the interest of, yeah. of being being fair. Very um, very good point. And it, it yeah. is in fact that somebody was just telling me that about of the police and fire. Uh, fighters right. on the island. About one third live on the island. On the other hand, right now there are zero PSE employees on the island. In fact, their crews are our contract crews with a company called Patelco. So, you know, a third of those people and having equipment stationed here uh, would be a huge advantage in an emergency or sure. the normal power outages and things that happen in the winter, let alone a bigger kind of emergency. Oh, sure. Well, actually, Fair point. Just trying to be accurate, yeah. Yeah. It's true, and I think sort of the, the bigger point is that um, there would be more money staying on the island versus 
none of it, none of the ratepayer money staying on the island. So in Jefferson County, for instance, I know we looked at them a lot, and so we, that's why we bring them up. But uh, there's from our case study. But um, before they became a public power, about two percent of the 33 million dollars that came in via ratepayers stayed in the county. And now that they own their own electric utility, about half of that stays in the county. So it's it's a big business that would be on the islands. It'd be the biggest business. The, the speaking, of Jefferson, speaking of Jefferson County, um, we have uh, – the, one of the things that they talked to their citizens about when they were looking at this is that they can get lower rates. And so looking back at their uh, their updates on how they're performing, their, their rates actually aren't lower, uh, which is okay for them because they've decided that, like you said before, the ownership piece is, is more important for them. But the question that I had for you guys, if you knew that information, is – how much did they actually end up laying out in terms of cash, um, whether it was getting uh, up and running with, with infrastructure, whether it was buying out PSC? What was their investment to get to this point? Um, well, well it was a, it was, there was a lot of money. Uh, they, You know, this is like a rent versus buy decision. And so you have kids like I do who are just get, trying to get into houses. It's huge. It's the biggest thing they've ever done, and it's and so right now we're renting from PSE the services that we have and the facilities that are on the island, and uh, so for Jefferson County, I think it was about 110 million dollars, uh, but they did the calculations on uh, on paying back that debt. It was borrowed long term, long term, and the lower cost of wholesale power, and so they are um, they're up in business, able to deal with that like a uh, you know family would with with a mortgage, and uh, they'll own their own utility. And over in over a twenty year period, the studies they've had done will be that their rates be twenty twenty five percent lower. There is some complexity. Right. They didn't raise their rates when they got in business. They kept them where they were with PSE. In the meantime. PSE has benefited from some things. Its customers, for instance, if you look at your PSE check, get a dividend that's part of the sale of the assets of the Jefferson PUD. So haven't raised their rates. Um, well, studies show, and if you look at the experience of other utilities, they will be lower, but um, there is there's a little bit of a special case there. Well, not only that, but in talking to somebody from Jefferson County um, who sort of led the the charge on public power there said that they kept their rates steady. They based, it, but what happened was PSD uh, was able to lower their rates through natural gas and fracking, and so they got lower energy, and so PSD's rates dropped, sort of uh, making Jefferson County's look uh, higher. I mean, they are higher, but they didn't go up. I guess is what we're trying to say. So they held steady. Um, but they didn't benefit from fracking, so hydro, um, you know, just and and, and they're a big commitment. You know, that community, like this community, the environmental concerns were big, and they're they're proud that fracking or natural gas or coal, they're not using those power resources anymore. They're using they're they're an all requirements customer of Bonneville, so they get all their energy from the Bonneville Power Administration. Do you know what their breakdown is? I know at PSE it's like 41 hydro, 25 natural gas, 
uh, 24 coal, 7 win, and yeah, then you've got nuclear the, and, and, and other at 2 and 1. Do you know what their their breakdowns are? Yep. It's because yep. they're what an all-requirements customer of the Bonneville Power Administration. They get all their power from Bonneville. I guess a small qualification is that they've got some significant solar installed that's local, but that's obviously green, and right. it belongs to their customers. So um, all of Bonneville's resources are non-carbon emitted. So they own all these power plants, and all those power plants are sufficient to meet the needs of their customers today. Um, There is a little caveat here to be careful about. The way in which that big utility is managed is sometimes they have excess power and sell it, for instance, into California, and then it's, you know, I call it environmental dispatch because they like it down there because it's clean and they can lay off some of their fossil fuel plants. Conversely, from time to time, they go into the market and buy power uh, because, uh, you know, the unevenness of managing that huge system. And uh, that power may have a little carbon in it. Uh, and and that's where, that's the caveat. But if you look at their power plants, overall sufficient to meet their customers' needs uh, that translate through the Jefferson PUD, it's virtually carbon-free. Yeah. And but so do, you, can I but do you know, do you know yes, specifically I, the breakdown? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm trying to get that to you. Good, <laughs> good. I want somebody is, to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> hydropower is uh, 89%. Nuclear is 5%. Market, market purchases are 5%. And wind, solar, biomass, and natural gas are one percent. Okay, okay. That's the bottom uh, Charles, of our administration. Thus, thus right. Jefferson TV. And Charles, you had some comments. Uh, you sent a note about renting versus buying. The the uh, point that Steve mentioned earlier. Did you want to offer some comments to that? Well, I guess the key thing is um, looking at the mix, looking at ownership of the utility. I think. The key thing is to be clear on what the objectives are. If it's to keep jobs on the island, obviously there's a benefit to having people employed on the island. Um, but for a lot of ratepayers, for them, cost is really important. So they would want to know, when owning the utility, can you actually operate it for a less cents per kilowatt hour than PSC can provide? And it sounds like you're saying, oh, absolutely, yes, PSC is high cost. So that's basically saying, well, then we can actually save you money by owning this utility. I think it's, in, it's, it's, it's as long as the approach is we could operate it for much less and you can you know, pencil that out, that I think is very important to people. I think when they start saying, is, but, oh, we have all these other objectives, then that becomes something where people are concerned about, well, you know, are we going to end up paying more because we're trying to change or create a different result? And that's different for some people. And I think that's where people want to make sure that when you put something on the ballot, what's, what's your clear goal? I think that's the key thing. And I use the analogy owning versus buying. Sometimes when you rent, you know what your cost is going to be and somebody's providing you a service. If you own it, you have the risk that your plans may not pencil out and you may end up costing more. Is no guarantee that you can operate it less, less, more efficiently unless you can really say, well, look, there's just so much overhead in the way PSC is operating their, their infrastructure here on the island. Look, we, we know we can save money, and here's why. 
Well, Charles, and, and the other the we, other part the, okay. the other part of that though is you're sorry about that, Jane. You know, the other part of okay. that is that you know you bring up the rent versus is buy. It's 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 a valid because you know there's also risk in being a renter. I mean, if if you are actually at the mercy of the landlord and they may have some costs that they may want to pass on to you, irrespective of whether or not they are real costs. And uh, you don't have the control, which is what uh, Jane was mentioning earlier. So I'm just going to jump out really quickly and let her jump back in. (laughs) (laughs) So, Charles, I was going to say, yes, um, I think over time we can project that the cost would go down. I mean, it would be starting up a business, so there might be some initial costs. Maybe just like Jefferson County would be holding steady for a while before you see it go down. But, again, we can't predict the future all we can do is look at the records of all the other PEDs and um, publicly owned utilities. And for them, the costs have gone down. So that's all we can really do. Is I, I, I think uh, I, Charles has brought up an important thing to, to think about um, in that um, when, when Bainbridge has its own utility, it will make its own decisions. And mm-hmm. it'll be subject, it's, it, being democratically governed, the dilemma with these utilities, I used to work with them, is people come in and say, we want this, we want that. Things that they never bothered to try and ask the power company to do because it was so remote, foreign-owned and so on, they weren't going to influence it. So it is a dilemma that you'll drive up costs. And uh, I've seen this in these utilities. People want you to do more solar or undergrounding, for instance. Undergrounding is a good thing reduces um, uh, outages, uh, it's aesthetically pleasing, and it's expensive. And so it's possible that there would be a push to do more than you can. On the other hand, if you look at these public power utilities who have maintained rates that are low, uh, in spite of these uh, proper democratic kind of pressures where you have a your locally controlled utility, um, you kind of get what you pay for if the communities for instance, on Bainbridge Island, if people say, we want underground more and we're willing to pay for it, you'd be able to do that versus you can also do that with PSE, but when you pay them the extra money to underground, they keep it. They own the asset. Um, and so those those are dilemmas. But um, it is one of the dilemmas of democracy that, um, you know, <laughs> you're subject to the whims of, of locals that may drive up costs. And and let's not kid ourselves. I mean, for those of us that live on Bainbridge Island, this is not <laughs> yeah, by any means a place where people are, are prone to, to agreeing without a lot of pain. So, you know, th- there is that whole, um, you know, trying to get things done and, and the, you know, constant processing of information and, and consultants and so forth before being able to agree and come up with some decision that at least most of us can live with. So there will always be that, and this will be no exception. Um, so here's a question uh, about the other end of it. First of all, let me back up because I just got another ping. May 9th at the Grange, you guys didn't say what time. What time is your meeting? 10, 10 a.m. noon, 10 o'clock. So May 9th at the Grange. From 10 until noon is the meeting for those who ping. Right. My other question is, what about the other end of this? And Jane and I, you and I also talked about this. Um, we talk about power. We talk about footprint. We talk about ownership. 
What about the other end of that process? You know, like for instance, with PSC and using the uh, the coal fire generating facility in eastern Montana. What about the disposal of coal fly ash, and and how much of an issue that is in our environment worldwide, and a clean process, and how the result of that could be a mitigating factor um, in this equation versus just saying we're not going to deal with you anymore because you have this coal. You know, what are some other ways that we can do? projects in partnership with PSE to get them to promote something like this where there's a safe process that turns a lot of this coal fly ash into basically an organic fertilizer. Is that something of, of any interest? Well, I mean, I love that idea, and I um, uh, I think that if PSE, um, I think we wouldn't be having this conversation if if it was easy to influence uh, PSE uh, business and how, you know, um, I think part of the issue is that PSE's prices are regulated by the state and they're required to provide the lowest cost electricity, not the most carbon neutral, but the lowest cost. That's a requirement. And so, the company's least cost plan for low power generate for power generation um, does not include that much renewable energy, and I so I think and also not only that, but I know that we pay for um, cleaning coal or coal ash or somehow making it inert, you know, or less uh, toxic to the environment. If there's a way to for them to do that inexpensively I don't know um, but we're coming at them from all sides because I don't know if you know but tonight also is a, a meeting on the carbon tax initiative so I think a lot of us are just hoping that coal is going to be a stranded asset for not just PSC but all electric companies out there one, one I would be very I, I would be very curious because we keep t- coming back to, sorry about that, the source of power for PSC and, and their portfolio. And I would be very interested, frankly, in seeing how they line up compared to Nebraska, which is still using coal and still lo- using other right. uh, types of. Right. You know, so, but. Um, well, the, the, those other states, other regions, I mean, it's it's a genuine dilemma. The, right. Uh, it is. The, the the company itself, it's a genuine dilemma because uh, costs are important. It already has high rates, and uh, but um, and uh, Nebraska is a public power state, but um, throughout those regions, um, they have, did not were not blessed with the hydropower we had in the Northwest and so forth, and uh, <clears throat> so, but but here on the islands, what can we do? And one of the things we can do is. If we 30 to 50 megawatts off the uh, PSE system, that will make it easier for them to reduce their purchases of coal and, and fossil fuel generation. So that's, that's one. And hopefully help steer them in the direction that um, long-term, it's just unsustainable for the environment to um, and, and, and hopefully ultimately politically to um, continue to burn coal uh, out of a plant like that, it's a, a huge contributor to uh, climate change and other aspects, you know, fly ash and and those kind of things. So, um, 
it it's tough. I mean, they I don't envy the company in a way, but I think the the biggest one big obstacle is to be is ownership. The goal of the company is to make money, and that's and that'd be fine, particularly in a competitive environment. But they're a monopoly, so don't visualize somebody in an office building in Sydney, Australia, calling the Bellevue headquarters and saying, "Darn it, are you guys doing everything you can for the environment or for you know a customer down the street, making sure she's getting reliable power?" Uh, it's just not the kind of conversations they're having. And I, so know, we I can help them make it a business-like decision to, that it's it's not good business long-term to be dependent on this uh, carbon-based resources. You were going to yeah. say something, I, Jay. I don't th- sorry. Go ahead. Um, I have a bad habit. Uh, anyway, but we don't want to vilify PSC. I mean, they're just, exactly. it's any, you know, it's just the fact that coal is being burned in general, and it's just so toxic to the environment. So, we could go after coal companies or whatever, but this is just where we're starting. Yeah, and I, I don't see it as, you know, as someone who's been all over the world and lived in different parts of it, I don't see it as something as simple as saying, you know, corporation bad, individuals good. It's really not that simple. Right. And there no. and there are people sitting in all types of, all different parts of the world that do care about the same issues that we're talking about today. So I agree with you about not vilifying PSE. They serve a purpose. They've been here for a while. And, and there's nothing wrong with having alternatives without having to do that. Um, right. So, you know, I, I think that what I hear from you, and I looked at some of the, the, you know, Jane, you and I have had some conversations going back and forth. And what I like about the way that you are answering your questions is that you're being very clear that it's a conversation, it's an exploration. And at the end of the day, if the uh, if the island's on board, then great. But, you know, to, to coin a phrase, no man is an island. And a lot of the things that we're doing, whether it's BPA <laughs> or, or any other source, we're still going to be impacted to some degree about what's going on beyond this island uh, in terms of power sources and how things are being processed. So we can't really make that decision in a vacuum and think that we're going to be immune from some of those things and how they roll out. So I, I, I really do have to say to you that I appreciate the way that you're handling this this approach. Well, thank you. Uh, Charles, you're kind of silent. Anything else you want to say? <laughs> uh, no, I think, that, you know, as long as there's transparency and, you know, I, I think the question is, of course, like you say, it's a democracy, and once you get there, um, people can set the goals. They can do differently. Once you have local control, you decide whether or not um, how much you're going to invest, how much you're going to do renewable how much are you going to factor lowest cost of generating electricity versus trying to achieve other goals? And yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. I mean, we we kind of got in this role because PSC way back in the day didn't invest enough in their infrastructure and they were having problems. And it was their way to get out of uh, the fact that the inter- there was under underinvestment in infrastructure. Um, and so they ended up having to sell the company. You know, and it's mm-hmm. that you know we want to make sure. There's a balance, though. You don't want to be uh, high cost. I mean, relatively speaking, Washington State has some of the lowest electric rates in the nation if you look at nationwide electric rates. There are places way, way, way higher than us, maybe a right. little bit that I'm lower, but we're towards the bottom end of the curve. We have pretty cheap electricity. We don't want to necessarily uh, do ourselves a lot of harm. There's a lot of people on the island that are not well off. Uh, not mm-hmm. everybody can afford to pay a lot more to 
you know, achieve, you know, better environmental goals. I do think, though, that we should always be smart and try to influence policy and try to do things in a way to achieve a better goal. Never does it make sense to be short-sighted and not look at opportunities that you can take advantage of to improve your situation. I mean, I always look for triple bottom line, too. I mean, if something could be energy efficient and save money, well, that's actually your, your ultimate goal. Um, Great. Be better so for the environment. 30, 30, okay, so we got about 30 seconds left, and uh, I want to give them an opportunity to share your URL, share your Facebook page, um, and any other kind of way to keep track of what you're doing, and, and also to uh, re-mention May 9th. So whoever it is going to be, Steve or Jane, you've got about 30 seconds, so go. Okay, I'll go. Uh, our Facebook page is Bainbridge Island Power, and our website is island-power.org. And our public meeting is Saturday, May 9th, 10 to noon, Grange Hall on Madison Ave North. Look forward to seeing everybody. That's great. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up a little bit. Thanks to Jane and Steve and Charles for being good sports and taking on the time to share the information this afternoon. So for those of you out there listening, uh, you can listen to the podcast here on the site you're on right now. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or even tune in. And you can follow us on Facebook at backslash Straight Talk Radio. That's S-T-R-8, Sammy Tommy Roger 8, then Talk Radio. And I'm uh, going to go ahead and thank you guys for being with us today, signing off at about, I guess it's about 1.55 p.m. Pacific Time on Wednesday, April 29th. Happy birthday to the world's greatest dad. And we will see you soon. Thanks a lot.